0: All right, welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. Matt Prem here, and Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Dual sports on the podcast. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Oregon's 1-2 and two start in conference play, why Sunday night's victory over USC was just so important for this team. Uh, they won that one 81-60 over the USC Trojans at home to close out a three-game homestand. We'll also dive into just kind of, I think we're... Lou King and his kind of production and impactful play and just kind of where that's taking him, I think from an individual standpoint and also where it could take Oregon. Uh, and then we'll also dive into, uh, I think a little bit of some postseason talk, what, you know, where Oregon currently stands and then we'll wrap things up with some football coverage and, uh, we're going to discuss Troy Dye's return, the impact of that, where things stand with a coaching candidate replacement at outside linebacker, what Oregon, what we're hearing, what Oregon's doing there. Uh, and then also we'll, we'll dive into recruiting because it's now a live period and Oregon coaches are out on the road as we're recording, seeing guys making plans for in-home visits, official visits, and sending out multiple, multiple, multiple scholarship offers to 2020, 2021. And then they're also evaluating the twenty nineteen class to see if there's anyone left that's worth taking at this point in time. Uh but let let's go back to Sunday's game, why it was an important game for for Oregon. They go to one and two in conference play. They are now ten and six overall. They they beat USC eighty one to sixty uh in a game where Lewis King had nineteen points, eight rebounds, six assists, uh, third straight game and double figures for him in Pac-12 play. Uh, Paul White adds in a, a really, really efficient game from White. He shot, he made six of 12 shots from in, in this game, scored 19 points, which ties his career high. Also added, uh, five rebounds, two assists, uh, had just one turnover, two block shots. Rim protector. Rim protector. <laughs> and, Oregon in this game had four guys, four guys with a plus-minus of 22 or better. Uh, King was a high of 30. Paul White was second with 25.
1: We should just first probably mention that. This is very impressive because I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast probably watched or at least heard about what happened on Thursday night when Oregon Oregon (laughs) blew. It was an historically bad collapse. And I think we should also mention UCLA deserves a lot of credit for what took place, but... Oregon led by nine with less than a minute to play. I believe there was a stat that ESPN put out that this is the most, the largest deficit erased in the final minute of a Pac-12 game ever. Ever, yeah. And the sixth largest in NCAA history. So what took place wasn't great Mm -hmm. on Thursday. Not great, Oregon ends up losing by three in overtime in a game they led by 17 with about 10 to play, 13 with about two and a half to play, a game that looked completely over. In fact, we'd already both completed our stories or... I was waiting to hit publish on a story talking about how this is a huge breakthrough for this team, yeah. and then things fall Boom. apart, but I do think we saw a continuation of what we saw for the first 38 minutes on Thursday, on Sunday, because this was a game that I think you kind of learned a lot about this team, it was a measuring stick game, They could have easily folded, USC's not very good if should get that off the top, even though they came in, I think, 2-1 in conference games, but... Oregon just kind of ran out of the gym, you know. I think you know USC never led. Oregon basically jumped out to a 12-4 lead and kind of just carried it through. I know USC cut into it at times, and I think it had it down to eight at the half. But I was really impressed with what we saw from Oregon. And, and again, I wrote about this yesterday for the site. But Luke King and Paul White continue to be the kind of the guys carrying this offense. I don't think we expected. Certainly, I think we expected when the season started, King could become this. But Paul White, what he's doing his last three games, averaging about 17 points a game. Uh, and I've been mean going back to his last eight or so games. He's averaging, I think, 14 or 15 a game. He is really taking this game up. And it's worth mentioning, you know, I, I think I posted this in the story, There was a stretch in the non-conference where he's Paul bad. White was awful. Uh, shooting, shooting like 25% from the field, about 10% from three, averaging like six points per game. It looked like at that point he was maybe not even going to be a rotation player once Bull... Uh, Wooten and, and King were kind of all at 100%. Obviously, that hasn't taken place, but a lot of credit to him for stepping his game up. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I think you know that's a, that, a pretty dynamic offensive duo, which is a weird thing to say <laughs> about Paul White and Lewis King, but they performed at a very high level, very efficient, like you said. And, and really, I think you know providing a glimpse of, unfortunately, what could have been had Bull Bull stayed healthy, had Kenny Wooten stayed healthy, um, I imagine a Bull bull Lewis King dynamic duo would have been, Something Oregon fans have never seen before would have been an incredibly fun team to watch. But um, as things are, I still think you, you take away from this weekend that they, they're probably a couple minutes away from from being two and one in conference play. Yeah. Honestly, a couple minutes against Oregon State, they could 3-0. be three and zero right now, very easily. You know, they were a couple made shots in the last minute of the Oregon State game, away from winning that game. Um, but we're kind of starting to see, I think kind of the way this offense needs to operate sort of come to the surface, because it seems like King and White are kind of carrying the primary offensive role. Um, Victor Bailey, we should mention, is also averaging 14 points, about 14 points a game in conference play. He's been impressive, but I think one thing we've talked about, Peyton Pritchard seems to be obviously struggling shooting the ball, but it does seem like there's sort of a positive correlation when he, not necessarily isn't shooting well, but maybe when he's not forcing things offensively. We saw that the last two games, he only took I think six shots in both, and Obviously, they were very close to winning both. Yeah, I, I, I,
0: this team is figuring out, I think, how to play without Bull Bull. And the nice thing about this is that when Kenny Wooten comes back, he's not really going to mess this flow up offensively. No. Be, because he's a lot like Francis Okoro in terms of offensive game. And the one thing that he provides that Okoro does not is – Above the rim play of the alley oops, uh, the fast break dunks, um, you know, that thing of, you know, rebounding tip dunks. And that's the type of stuff that is free flowing. It doesn't, it's not involved in the offense. And so I, I think when Wooten gets back, he, he will slide right in and not really mess anything up offensively because what Okoro and Miles Norris are doing at the center position, offensively, is exactly what Kenny Wooten will be providing as well. Uh, and But you'll hit, see a huge uptick defensively because he's – I think he's your best on-ball defender. I think he's your best big man defender. Absolutely. He, he's your best rim protector. He's one of the best rim protectors in the conference, in the nation. Um, and so it's always been about – and I, I said this before the USC game was that was going to be a, a, a tone setter for the rest of the year. And, and people kind of joked – online about it of, you know, well, the year's already over, and I I don't necessarily agree with that, but at the same time, you know, yeah, Oregon has a small margin of error, but this, you know, I was talking more about, hey, is Oregon going to be competitive in every game, or is that UCLA loss going to be so bad and so crushing, demoralizing, that Oregon just kind of packs it in and says, you know what? This year has gone completely opposite direction of what we were expecting. We were preseason favorites. We had two lottery picks and Bull Bull and, and Lewis King and those guys played maybe twenty minutes together because of injuries.
1: Let you know It was thirty one minutes that King played in games that Bull played. Yeah. So and, and that's not even together. That's probably is about twenty.
0: And now you're and and the season's gone away and you know our last stand, hurrah, you know, failed and Oregon somehow you know, finishes the year 14-17, and 17, losing season, you know, what the, Or do they come back and they show fight and they, they show grit and, you know, they, they improve, which we saw against USC, and they go into an Arizona swing where, look, you know, yeah, they're, they're down and, uh, you know, they need to win some games and they need to pull off an upset or two, but these two games are winnable games. And if you win these two, A, you get – to, you know look there's not a lot of marquee wins in the conference but these are two games that will help you uh in the net rankings uh and on top of that it gets you you know Arizona's four and own conference play and first Oregon State's three and own conference play you're one and two you you can you have an opportunity to knock off know, one of the two teams on top of the standings get a huge road win and get yourself one game closer to to being in that top four seed, which is right now the goal.
1: I think what you learn from the first three conference games, of course all at home, and it'll be really interesting to see how this team plays on the road because as if you've watched this team, you know they've been a completely different animal away from Matthew Magdalena. But what we've seen is this team can clearly compete with What right now looks to be some of the top teams in the conference, Oregon State is currently tied for first in the conference, UCLA is uh, in fourth place, (laughs) and USC was undefeated coming into the weekend. They got swept by the Oregon schools. Oregon was in position to win all three of those games, And, and, and if this is considered the upper echelon of the conference, which based upon the first two weekends it looks like it might be, and of course a lot will take place, I think they can be competitive every weekend. Um, it, it will be a matter of how does this team, like we said, operate on the road. I think this weekend at the Arizona schools will be telling Arizona's uh, leading the conference at 4-0 and right now. Arizona State is 2-2. and um, Arizona State, of course, has a lot of the big victories in non-conference play, kind of carried the torch there. And we're kind of seeing something similar to last year where they've fallen apart already a little bit to start conference play. But certainly an opportunity where I, I, would, be, I would not be shocked at all if Oregon splits this weekend. I wouldn't think it would be too shocking if they sweep this weekend, just because I still think Louis King's going to be one of, if not the best players on the court. The way he's playing right now, we should say, because we didn't see this in non-conference play when he's coming back from injury, but if he can play like he's played three games in non-conference play, averaging 19-9, and 9, um, shooting 48% from the field, 41 from three, he's going to be as good of a player on the court at any time against any team and I'm going to write about this later on, on the site, and it'll actually probably be up before you listen to this podcast, but he's going to be a guy who's going to make a strong case for a Pac-12 freshman of the year and a guy who's going to make a strong case for a Pac-12 player of the year maybe even if he continues to play at this level, and he'll have an opportunity to pick up a marquee win and kind of show that off um, this week against Arizona and Arizona State on the road. Big games, I think, both for him kind of proving and also for this, this team. Yeah,
0: this, this Arizona game is going to set – I think – I said the USC will set the tone – the rest of the year, but you stack it now. Can it, can Oregon go into Tucson and get a, you know a place where no one wins, and outside of Arizona, and get a, 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 a non a, a conference road game, get you back into the discussion of of the Pac-12 title race because that will happen if, if you win that game, um, and, and continue to to position yourself for a top four seed because that's ultimately what you're playing for right now is that. You wanna have yourself in a situation when you head to Las Vegas where you have to you do not have to play on that Wednesday and you get a first round by and you, you are in a position where you're two wins away from a conference championship game. And if if you can be in a top four, I think that's huge for your for your confidence <coughs> and 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 that type of a situation, look, there's not a lot of coaches in this conference that from an X's and O's standpoint and getting you prepared are going to be better than Dana Altman. I think Sean Miller is, is comparable at, U, at Arizona. I think Larry Kostoviac at Utah is, is probably comparable. And on top of that, maybe Mike Hopkins at Utah, maybe Tad Boyle at Colorado.
1: I would say Boyle and Hopkins are the next, in the next group. Yeah.
0: But the, the, the top three coaches are Altman, Kostowiak and Miller. Uh, and, I look at those two teams compared to Oregon and they probably have, Oregon probably has still one of the talent, most talented rosters in the Pac-12. And so it's all about positioning yourselves for the conference. And, you know, the season's not over. You can still kind of you win your way into the tournament. But it's all about these games that are going to be the 50-50 games and making sure that you win those to position yourself to have as best chance as, as you can to, in Vegas. And, I I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how Oregon plays moving forward because I don't want to talk too much more about basketball, but um, we've seen I think a shift in style.
1: Yeah, hundred
0: percent. They've slowed it down a little bit offensively. They're pressing more. They're trying to put you know push the tempo and speed up their opponent, and it's really it's worked really well because uh against Oregon State they forced 19 turnovers uh against UCLA they forced 23 and then against Southern California they only forced 12 but USC shot just uh what was it 23 of 54 from the field they shot just 42% uh overall and Oregon could just you know USC just couldn't get into their offense so while they weren't creating steals they they were you know, USC was having to work late into the shot mm-hmm. clock, bad shot selection.
1: I was going to say, the shot selection for USC was atrocious. Yes. Like, really bad. And Oregon, I think, forced them into some yes. of it. But I know a lot of Oregon fans probably don't like watching Oregon basketball. Imagine watching USC basketball. <laughs> and if you go to games at the Galen Center, you look at the tennis numbers, you see that not very many people are interested in it um, because some of the shots they take are terrible. That's it's, it's a small tangent that I noticed from last night we are talking yeah. about shot selection because we should mention Oregon, I thought, much, much better the last two games from a shot selection perspective and
0: offensively look Oregon, Peyton Pritchard has been the guy kind of to facilitate. And at the same time been asked to be your go-to scorer, um, at least last year and part of this season with bull. He was either, you know, secondary, uh, or he was a primary guy once bull got out, uh, with an injury. And, whether it's by design or whether it's just by coincidence, um, Oregon has seen his shot selection go down significantly the last two games. He has, he's attempted six both games. And Paul White, and I'm not trying to say, you know, Oregon's winning and because, you know, in, in spite of Peyton and Pritchard, but Paul White said Oregon's best ball movement was USC and was UCLA. And I, I think when, when Pritchard is, is, the focal point of the offense in terms of scoring and, and creating for everybody else, the offense seems to just slow down into a sludge and everyone stands around, and watches Pritchard kind of dribble and get himself open or get somebody else open via the dribble. Whereas the last two week, the last two games, the ball has been, you know, crossing sideways, uh, the court multiple times and in one possession, which leads to open, you know, shots. Uh, there's been a lot of inside-out action, a lot of driving, um, and I, I think there's a correlation to that. To, to the point where I went and, and looked at it, and the last and you found that there was a correlation. Yeah, in the last season and a half, the Ducks are 19 and 16 uh, in games where Pritchard is shooting 10 or more shots, and when he shoots nine or less shots in a, in a game, uh, the Ducks are 15 and three, wow. and one of those losses is the UCLA loss. So, you know, and one of those wins is the USC win um, on Sunday. So I, I I think there is a correlation when Oregon can can look at it and say, hey, Peyton, let's let somebody else be the go-to scorer. We still want you to shoot when you're open. We still want you to take the the big shots if you have them. And he hit a couple against USC, a, a big three to kind of stem a, a, a minor comeback. But focus more on setting everybody else up opposed to um, being the go-to guy uh, from an offensive scoring standpoint and is setting uh, his, his teammates up. And I think it's working. You know, he had three assists against UCLA, uh, which for him is not a very good good number, but he didn't have a single turnover, I don't think. Uh, and then also against Southern California, he had five assists and just two turnovers, and you know he hit three big three-pointers in, in that game. And so I, I think... That's going to be what I'm going to be watching against Arizona. Does Oregon continue this trend of, you know, limiting Pritchard shots, you know, to, to under ten, and you know, kind of in that six, seven, eight, five range, and funneling the offense through Paul White, Lewis King, and then I think Victor Bailey Jr. Yeah,
1: and Bailey's kind of a spot up guy. It's, it, it does seem like there is correlation, and you ran through the numbers, and that's almost a Scopal System stat right <laughs> P- premium blend or something um, from, from Matt over here, but yeah, I, I think that's going to be something that we'll probably continue to see, and, and honestly, the way he's shooting the basketball, especially in conference play, it's probably pretty good that he's not shooting at too much, I mean, he's fourth right now in conference games in field goal attempts, which is a good number, but he's shooting 28% from the field, and 26 from three, really quick, <clears throat> then we should probably switch over to football. The chances of an at-large bid, I think, for Oregon and really any conference team besides maybe Washington and maybe Arizona, is very slim right now. Oregon is currently um, 83rd in the, or sorry, 84th in the net ranking, which is kind of supplanted um, the RPI in terms of what they look at for the metric from the metric perspective. That's not great, and the thing that makes it even worse, unfortunately, is that the rest of the conference stinks too. Yeah. So there aren't even really opportunities for teams to really pick up big wins. Like Washington's at the top of the conference at 38. Arizona's next at 51. Arizona, Oregon State's third at 71. Then Arizona State, 83. Oregon at 84. So Oregon's fifth right now in the net ranking, and the opportunity to pick up wins that improve that Not good. are slim. There's basically six games remaining on the schedule that provide that, and that's dependent upon if those teams continue to play well, which as we've seen so far in conference play, it's nothing. I mean, there's no guarantee that that's going to be the case because USC and UCLA came to the Oregon schools 2-0, winning both their games pretty handily. And USC goes home with two losses. UCLA goes home with one win. Probably should be two losses. So um, just something to keep an eye on. I think this, the, the chance really, like you said, and we've established, is you got to go win the conference tournament to get in. Yeah. Maybe Oregon goes on a huge win streak here and they rattle off, what would that be, 15 conference games in a row, and then they win three games of the tournament and suddenly they're looking at, you're not going to take a team that's won 17 straight games, even though they lost in the conference yeah. championship game. But uh, certainly not a lot there in terms of a not large perspective. Uh, it's going to have to come down to winning the league, I think.
0: Yeah, you have to win the league in Vegas, and unless, like you said, some team goes 16 and two yeah. in, in conference play, uh, 15 and three, and that's kind of pushing it. After, outside of that, you know, when you get to 14 and four, there's no one else in the league that's that you know, went 12 and one in non-con or something of that nature. So. Um, shifting gears towards towards football, big news happened last week. If you didn't know, Troy Die th- announced that he's returning to school. Will finish out his senior season as a four year starter for the Ducks. That means Oregon will have a four year starter at quarterback, uh, three four year starters along the offensive line, and then a four year starter at inside linebacker for the Ducks and and, and Troy Die. And he was kind of the one guy that we were waiting on. I don't think there's anyone else. You know, we're waiting. It, today's the, the deadline, the fourteenth.
1: And it might have already passed because I think it was like a, a noon Eastern Time thing. I'm not sure. And there's no, one, there's, 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 there's no one. There was on the no one else. There's no
0: one really else on the radar. I mean, Dallas format would be the only one that would be possible, and, and he had you know, no offense to him, but he he didn't have a decision to make. Yeah, um Guy coming back, I I thought was the most difficult of all the juniors to decide: do you go or do you stay? Because He's a six foot four, two hundred twenty pound linebacker that's basically been that weight for the last three years at Oregon. Um, he's had a hundred tackles in two straight years. He's led the team in tackles three straight years. What more can he do <clears throat> from a production standpoint to show his value to an NFL team? Um, and so now it comes down to, in my opinion, okay, can can you have some kind of godly number as a senior from a tackle standpoint a sack standpoint or can you you know throw on some weight or show some versatility um and he even talked about how he wants to get up to 235 240 for his senior season, um, he doesn't really care what position he plays. If, if it's linebacker, outside linebacker, if it's corner, he said, or even kicker. He just wants an opportunity. Obviously, he's not going to be a kicker. He's well, not going mean, to be a it corner.
1: could, it could, it could use some help a kicker, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Um, so we'll, we'll see uh, where kind of he falls in line. I thought he had the most difficult –
1: Decision to make. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that and, and I think he probably made the right decision um, I, I do think he's got to prove kind of where he fits in an NFL defense again a 6'4 220 225 pound athlete is kind of either going to be like a big safety or a small linebacker and I do think he could put on some weight because you look at him he's still really lean I, I think he can get up there it's just a matter of can he carry on some of those athletic traits which will make him so good and from just a historical perspective, I think Dai has a really good chance to actually become Oregon's all-time uh, tackles leader. Yeah. Currently, Tom Graham, not Thomas Graham, but Tom Graham. Tom Graham. His dad. No, it's not. Uh, from 1969 to 1971, at 433 tackles. He leads the all-time list. Die right now has 313 tackles through three seasons. If he has 120 this season, uh, or in 2019, he would become the all-time tackles leader. Um, and given the fact that he had 115 this year, 107 in 2017, 91 in 2016, I don't think it's that far-fetched at all to think he can do that. And in terms of this defense now, we, you know, we, the, the, a lot of the talk had been about how the offense had a chance to return all 11 starters. Obviously, they don't. Uh, Dale Mitchell's going pro, but 10 out of 11 back. Defense now returns 7 out of 11 full-time starters and a couple of guys, Nick Pickett, Javon Holland, also significant starting experience. Um, a couple guys at linebacker replacing Kalana Pelu, significant. Uh, starting experience. Really, Jalen Jokes and Justin Hollins are really the only two guys who don't have a direct backup with with starting experience, but you've also got DJ Johnson, a highly rated transfer from Miami. You could probably fill in for Hollins. And you've got Kayvon Thibodeau who's already on campus. We saw him at both Oregon basketball games this weekend in the the pit crew in the student section. He has a great chance, I think, to replace uh, Jalen Jokes at defensive end. So you look at this roster, I think they're going to be really, really talented defensively. They've got a chance, I think, to be I'm not gonna say as good or better at every possession because I think Justin Hollins was tremendous last year. I think Jalen Jokes would be hard to produce or reproduce that production. I thought Ugo Amadi was really, really great too. But I think this defense could be better. Probably should be better. It needs to be better. And yeah, it probably needs to be better. Considering
0: who's coming back and
1: and and for this team to be the next step which would you know, you know, the step here that is expected is that this is gonna be a team, apparently based upon all these preseason twenty nineteen very early predictions is going to be a top 10, top 15 team in these preseason polls, um, certainly need that defense playing better. And I think a guy like Die coming back, who's, again, been the leader in tackles, but also been the leader of that defense now for three seasons, it's a huge, huge, huge piece of news for Oregon. And, again, now you've basically got your leader on offense and leader on defense back for their senior seasons. So do we
0: do we come out and say that now that we know that Die is coming back and everyone else before him, Justin Herbert, Calvin Throckmorton, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hanson, Dylan Mitchell departs. Knowing Oregon's recruiting class that's coming in, that's currently ranked sixth in the country, they've got multiple guys uh, at receiver that are four-star players coming in. Um, are we? Is it safe to now say they are head and shoulders the favorite going into Pac-12 play next season?
1: I don't know if I'd say head and shoulders, but I do think you look around the conference and and I I think Washington, Washington State finished at the top of the conference. They both lose their quarterbacks. Stanford loses quite a bit. Cal has so many issues offensively that it's really hard to count them. And and then the South this last year really wasn't all that impressive. So um, I I think right now, if you look at all these these preseason rankings, and if you go to the site, and I think it was last week sometime, we we basically compiled a list of 12 different um, top 25 rankings, Oregon was the highest rated PAP 12 school, and I believe every single one of them. So certainly the national perception is Oregon is back. Oregon is going to be a contender not only for this conference, but also nationally for potentially a college football playoff spot. And then the question probably becomes, is that too much expectations? Probably a little bit, and there's stuff on the site kind of discussing that if you want to get in that conversation. There's a a couple different stories, but I don't think it's unreasonable at all. I think Oregon's going to have the best quarterback in the conference. I think they're going to have the best offensive line in the conference. They're going to have for my money, one of the best front sevens in the conference next year, because I do think returning, I think all but two players or three players, I guess starters um, in that front seven, bringing back some really big time players. I think they're going to be as good as anybody. I think it would be hard right now to probably put together an argument that Oregon shouldn't be the favorite, but the argument would probably consist of, Hey, this team still only won four games against teams that were eligible last year. This team Struggled offensively against some really good teams and the road thing. I mean, again, football and basketball, same thing. Oregon away from Watson Stadium, away from Matthew Knight Arena the last, you know, season here, not been very impressive. That needs to be corrected for sure.
0: Yeah, the, the away games is going to be what decides this season. The 2019 outlook for Oregon in my mind. Does Oregon come out and beat Dallas, beat Auburn and Dallas? Do they go to, to UW and do they go to Stanford and, and do they get victories there? if not, you're more than likely not going to compete for the conference championship. If you can't win one of those games at Washington or at Stanford, you need to uh, be able to win those games to do that. Um, that being said, now, recruiting standpoint, it's not done yet. There's still a lot to, to, to finalize for the 2019 class. and One thing we should talk about real quick is The positive of signing twenty-two guys in the early signing period is it really kind of gives Oregon a laser focus on what they need to do for these this remaining four weeks before the second signing period in February, which I think is like the sixth, I believe, sixth or the fourth. I can't remember. Um, And that gives you an idea, you know, the difference between the last two seasons. So the year when Willie Taggart was hired in December, you know, they were scrambling to sign. Just some guys in the early, in, uh, in, in December, or in, excuse me, in January and trying to figure out, you know, who can, who can help and where, where you guys are going to get these players from. And then Mario Crystal ball's class was, all right, let's sign as many as we can early to, to, to save the class. And at the same time, let's, let's, you know, focus on who we need to go out and get, um, for the, the second period. Now for Oregon, it's, Okay, we, we've got a set number of guys. We've got a pool of about 20 guys that we know we, you know, we're in on. You know, we're still going to evaluate some new guys, but th- these 20 or so guys are our, our base. And then we need four or five of them to sign with us. But on top of that, it opens up the ability to really hit the country, hit the ground running on the 2020 class, on the 2021 class.
1: Uh, February sixth is the signing day That's right. um, this spring, and I'm with you here. And I think you have to be somewhat encouraged by the kind of list of guys that we're expecting to visit coming forward in terms of building this 2019 class and kind of completing it. And also, we should mention that Oregon over this past weekend or was a yeah it was this past weekend had Kendall Milton on yeah. campus, who's five to be an all everything guy, the 11th best player in the country, so, regardless so, of position. So they're they're starting to and. Sorry, they're continuing this momentum from 2019 into 2020 already. You look at the West Coast, and I think it's a pretty dang strong year. SoCal, certainly the Seattle area is probably better than it's been in, in a little bit in terms of the five-star talent. If Oregon's able to, to get again, hit the ground running here, and we talked about the, what kind of getting all those guys signed in, in December allows you to do that, this could be even maybe a better recruiting class for 2020. Then 2019, of course, that's very premature and then jumping the gun way ahead. Um, and that's not even a hot take because I'm not saying they're going to be, but I'm saying the potential is there that this could be a great 2020 class if they're able to get some more momentum going here. And, that, you know, they've got two commitments right now. I think that we'll probably see again. And we should also mention the spring game has been announced. Mm-hmm. The date, April 20th, be another big recruiting weekend. And you'd probably expect that once that wraps up late April, Oregon's or- going to once again they're on the road. Oregon's going to once again have a big bundle of commitments like they've had the last couple of years, maybe six to eight guys committed, and that will again set the stage even more. So there's kind of these different milestones coming ahead. Certainly these next couple of weeks we'll kind of get a a, a gauge for uh, 2020 kids and obviously 2019 kids that are finalizing their recruitments.
0: The thing about the spring game is is that it's interesting and, and important from a recruiting perspective is, A, it opens the door, you know, for another big recruiting weekend, like, you know, We've had we've, we just mentioned in the last couple of weeks we or years we've seen um, that stuff play out, but on top of that, there is you know we've typically seen Oregon have some kind of you know spring practice or the spring game go out all the way until maybe even early parts of May. Mm-hmm. We, we've seen it at some points in time when there is an evaluation period that starts. On April 15th, meaning Oregon coaches and every other coach across the country can go out and see guys from a recruiting perspective for the 2020 class, from the 2021 class. Uh, they can go to the high schools and they can watch, you know, high school competitions. They can watch high school practice. If they're practicing, they can watch them work out. They can check on them academically. And that runs from April 15th all the way through May 31st. So, by Oregon having that spring game on the 20th, it basically gives you six weeks without spring football to go out and hit the recruiting run. And you're only losing one week of of, of evaluating. And quite honestly, it wouldn't surprise me one bit where if they don't have practice exactly what I was about to say. April 15th, 16th, and the 17th, and they re- – and the coaches are out on those first three days, and they come back for practice on the 18th, the 19th, and then the game on the 20th.
1: I think at the very least, you're going to see a portion of the staff out doing some eva- making some evaluations, um, out making some contacts yeah. during that period because that's exactly what the staff does. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how they pride themselves. And, and again, the way that they got uh, that's, that, I think that's good points there because it's significant when they've set that spring game because. We've seen it in the past where they have kind of taken not a full week, but yeah. some days off in lead up there, and it probably sets up well. And we should also mention we can kind of glean off the, the spring game date that we're going to probably see camp begin sometime in March again, whether or not they stagger it like they did last year. Last year they took about three weeks off um, in the middle. Uh, I think, We don't know if we've got anything official on that. No. But, but, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll see probably – I mean, football season seemingly just ended, but I think yes. we're going to have – Signing so day in February, and by March we're going to have spring football again. So football never ends for Oregon football or any college football programs, and it's certainly kind of exciting to see uh, what the next three or four months will hold for those programs. Well, Mario
0: Cristobal did say that he expected a couple guys to enroll early for the start of spring football, yeah. and then a couple other guys to enroll uh, during the sp- for the spring term and miss. He, he said a handful of practices. We don't know how many that would be. But um, classes begin in spring – of 2019 for the spring term on the 1st of April. Um, So I I would imagine we'll probably see, you know, final exams uh, for for Oregon start March 18th to the 22nd. I would imagine um, they will have practice probably the week before final exams, and then they'll probably have one or two practices before spring break, or during you know during the early part of spring break and then let them go and then come back like I, I bet you there's going to be like about a two week
1: similar to last year
0: two week gap where they they maybe have six or seven practices sometime during March and then they return after a two week break and have the final seven or eight or nine practices uh, during the month of April.
1: That kind of follows what we saw yeah. last year and kind of makes sense.
0: Um, The last bit of news that we have for football is kind of the coaching search, um, kind of where things stand there. Um, Oregon has two positions that they need to fill. One is a defensive assistant coach, and then the second would be the recruiting coordinator. And they're kind of – you would think the the recruiting coordinator would be the secondary position, but they're flipped. The most important guy that you need to have filled right now is the recruiting coordinator position just because of his role in terms of – Handling the logistics of of official visits, sending out your staff, you know, handling the influx of of interest from guys, reviewing film, you know, weeding through everything, and you know, finalizing. Okay, this is a legit guy. I need to have the position coach look at him. Um, I wouldn't expect either position to be filled here in the next day or two, but I would think that the recruiting coordinator will probably be hired first, and then the defensive the defensive assistant coach will be hired before the end of signing day. You know, by, by the time signing day comes, a coach will be hired at that point. Um, probably much sooner than that. Um
1: that's but like the deadline kind of. Thing. That's
0: kind of the deadline. But what they do with that position is going to be interesting. It's kind of what what we're monitoring right now is there's a lot of options on the table. Um, you could hire just a straight linebacker coach that replaces what Court Dennison did um, or you can go out and maybe you promote somebody from up within and and he coaches a different position or special teams or whatnot. Um, Oregon's creative. Uh sounds like Keith Hayward, the co-defensive coordinator, is kind of running point on that hiring process, uh, filtering everything out, and then Mario Cristobal will make the final decision on who they hire, who they don't. Um, and then there's the Jim Levitt situation, which – we won't touch much it's on been, it's that. It's
1: been surprisingly quiet, I think. Yeah,
0: we won't touch much on that because it's, a, it's a, we've got a lot of information on the site, on duckterritory.com. That's for VIP. But some kind of a decision needs to be made with Levitt. Is he staying? Um, does he want to go somewhere else? Does Oregon want to keep him? Uh, does Oregon not want to keep him? Um, I think there's you know, a decision in that regard has to be made. And then from there... Everything else can kind of fall into place because you know what you have. We will say this: he is out recruiting now, when previously he was not.
1: Well, and we should also say that it would—they need him for for spring. They need need a defensive coordinator for spring practice because if they're going to make a defensive coordinating change, you want that 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 person on campus to help kind of formulate what the defense is going to look like in the spring, rather than having to try to install everything during the fall. So I would—we have to expect that. Some before sometime in March, we'll have something definitive. And if we, it's probably one of those things where either we're going to hear he's going or we're not going to hear much yeah. of anything. I don't think we'll hear, or maybe Cristobal will, ta- will take an opportunity to say, Hey, we've we finalized and he's staying. He's been someone that's kind of up front with that stuff, but um, certainly something to be, you know, kind of keep an eye on. I think, I, uh, I, I, maybe I'm speaking for myself here. I, I expected we'd have heard something more definitive by now. Uh, and the fact that we haven't kind of, again, as kind of this interesting mystery to what's kind of going on behind the scenes. Certainly, um, Jim Levitt's been someone that's that's taken this defense to a different level than where it was previously, um, you know, under Brady Hoke and, and then in Don Pelham. But um, obviously, you kind of hear these whispers behind the scenes that things aren't running too swimmingly. So certainly something to keep an eye on, and we'll keep you updated on all that stuff on the site.
0: All right, I guess we should also talk about the other big news, Braxton Burmeister.
1: Yeah, we should. And, and, and you know, uh, I think... Uh, if you didn't know, he's in a transfer portal. He's, he's exploring and options. And I believe Matt broke that story, so yes. kudos to Matt for, for getting on that. Um, I don't think this is totally shocking. I'm maybe a, maybe a bit surprising that it happened again before spring practice. But at the same time, he probably looked at it and thought, I'm clearly not going to be a starting quarterback at Oregon at probably any point full time. You, know, I mean, you know, he's already been a replacement a couple times at Oregon. Those times are pretty well. Um, haven't gone great and it's not I mean that's not I'm not trying to take a shot at the kid, but the numbers kinda of backed it up and obviously the fan base is kinda him. Of but I think this is significant because now you're gonna see Oregon enter spring camp with Does Justin he stay Hart, or does he just, leave?
0: Who? Burmester, does he leave? I mean I think we we still don't know yet. I mean, it's definitive. It's not definitive. He's gone. He can still come All right, back. right. He's in the transfer portal, so maybe he will stick around. Does he? Does he like the options that are out there?
1: Yeah, and maybe that's one of those things we're going to see where people just put their name in the transfer portal and they kind of explore their options. But if he does in fact leave, Oregon would only have three scholarship quarterbacks for fall. And I don't know if Cale Millen is enrolling early or not. I can't recall. Do we? Do we know? Yes, he's, he's already so. here. He's already here. So okay, so they're going to have three uh, scholarship quarterbacks for spring back uh, spring football. That's not a huge number, but it's, a, it's, I think it's a number you can get by on, but I think certainly having Burmeister, who's the only other quarterback besides Herbert, who's attempted a pass, at least adds some assurance of this guy's done this before, albeit somebody hasn't really thrived when he has. Yeah.
0: That'll be interesting to see how things play out in spring ball. Um, could we see other guys to, to put their names in the transfer portal? I think that's going to be safe oh, to, to assume just because Oregon already is, kind of up against that threshold of how many guys that they can sign because of available scholarships, and they're continuing to go out and um, find new guys to offer for 2019, and they're still going after multiple guys for 2019. So the reality is there are going to be players that will not be on the roster this coming season that were scholarship players last year. Uh, who that is, uh, we'll have to find out and wait and see, uh, but that's going to be decided here probably in the next couple months as things kind of trickle out and shake out and figure themselves out. So uh, for Eric and myself, Matt, thanks for listening to the Duck Territory podcast. We'll do another one next week, uh, getting you up to speed on all the things with Oregon football as well as Oregon basketball. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.
1: Adios, muchachos.